Hi, I'm Laura. Hey, I'm Stefan, and you're listening to Attributed, a podcast library by Dream Data. The purpose of it is to store and share all the knowledge that we have gathered across Dream Data employees through our LinkedIn Lives, podcasts, and webinars. The typical topics you'll find here can be stuff like marketing, sales, B2B ads, operations, social selling, maybe. Good morning. Good afternoon, everybody. Dara and I, we met before she was selling to Dream Data. And it was a very, very impressive experience. I could definitely feel that she had the grip of the sales process. She knew how to manage it. She was involving people into the meetings one-on-one, one-on-many, and so on. It was great to be in that sales process. And for that, right now, we're going to talk a lot about the great meetings. How do you conduct those? How do you build report and stuff like that? So Daria, welcome today. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you, Laura. So glad to be here. Daria, a quick intro to you. Please give me your intro because you have done a lot of things and I want to hear your background before you came with an idea of sales love. Sure. Uh, so I'm a salesperson through and through. I started my career on the trading floor back in the days when that was a, a cool thing to do. So really, it was more of like an account management role. So you have a list of clients and you sell various uh, financial instruments to them, which was very enterprisey, a lot of, you know, high value deals, very stressful, probably similar, you know, to your experience uh, at Red Hat and those more enterprise customers. Then I kind of had a bit of a quarter-life crisis, quit banking, uh, and was very lucky to join Dropbox as one of their first five people in Europe. And with Dropbox, I've done kind of every possible role in the sales team that you can imagine, from just picking up the phone and selling, to doing sales ops, to onboarding new team members, team leading an SMB team, basically just seeing that, that growth from five to 150 people in Europe. Then I left to do an MBA. And from then I was an investor, a venture investor, which really is also a sales job in the end of the day, (laughs) because money, as we all know, is the ultimate commodity. You know, you think it's hard to differentiate from competition, try being an investor. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I really do. And how did you come up with the idea of sales room? Yeah, I mean, when I was at Dropbox, we had we hired people very aggressively. And for a while there, I was uh, together with a great guy, Rory Heskin. Uh, we were kind of the points of contact for onboarding everyone into Dropbox. And we had this great kind of three-week program where we taught people everything about Dropbox, how we sell the market. And from there, really, and we had sales coaches and we did all of that. But when the salesperson was on the call with a customer, they were really on their own. And that was now almost kind of 10 years ago. So by this point, you kind of, you invest your resources, you do your best, and then you just sit there and keep your fingers crossed, right? (laughs) We did something like trying to um, like pair your headset and you sit in a different room. And this was before Slack. So we used something called HipChat where we would like message each other like, hey, you know, ask them about their Windows server. (laughs) And that was kind of 10 years ago. And then obviously I left. I was an investor for a while. Gong and revenue intelligence and all that happened. But the fundamental problem still stayed the same, that you have no control 
over your sales meetings. And sometimes they go well when all stars align and sometimes they don't. And that has a massive impact on your numbers as a business when there's so much variability in sales performers. All right. So you've got a lot of credibility from sales. And I think it is impressive, especially going from the enterprise ones and also seeing how the teams are being managed from like a step further ahead. And for that, when we met with you on while you were trying to sell uh, sell sales rooms to us, we could definitely feel that you know what it means to be in the sales conversation and just to start with that, so when you are doing sales, what do you start with to build rapport with your buyers nowadays? It's a great question. I think, um, first of all, you mentioned something, SMB enterprise. I just want to get it out of the way. Selling enterprise is like selling a few SMB deals at once, right? It's not fundamentally different. <laughs> and selling in the market is like selling a few less SMB deals at once. So I think whatever, you know, my experience, I, I've done kind of everything across the spectrum, it really boils down to the fundamental. I think building a rapport is really a bit misunderstood because people think it's about, oh, having the best jokes and the best icebreakers. And, and that's not true, right? Because people like, you can go watch fucking Ricky Gervais on Netflix. Yeah? You don't want to be entertained by a salesperson. <laughs> You're talking to someone because you have a problem that you want solving and that person is here to help you kind of get educated, shine a different light on the problem. So my best tip is first, don't ask questions for something that you could find out through your research. For example, you know, when I speak to salespeople and, you know, I could start like, hey, how many AEs do you have? How many SDRs do you have? But I can go on LinkedIn and see that, right? So it starts with kind of gathering as much information as you can up front and then phrasing your questions, kind of trying to state a fact, a little bit of an assumption there, and then ask a more kind of provoking question. So that's my first tip. And my second tip is, um, and this is like, if you follow people who are into NLP and psychology, there is something called mirroring, which is basically you have to mirror the energy of the person you're speaking with. And um, in investment banking, it's really like, so in investment banking, you would cover a specific region and the specific kind of type of customer. And because so much money is on the line, they really pair. Like you see people who work with hedge funds and they all swear, right? And they all are very aggressive because that's what their clients are. But then you look at people who are selling maybe into like pension funds and those are a little bit more calm, a little more collected, a little more intellectual. Well, it doesn't mean that you have to change your personality, but it means that within the first two or three minutes, just like get a sense for what the other person wants, right? If they want to go right into the tech details, go into the tech details, right? Don't tell them about your yoga class. <laughs> if they're not very optimistic, right? Just dial your own enthusiasm out. Basically, you know, match the whatever energy you're getting in return. I absolutely love that. And it comes down again to reading the room, even though you're not in the room, it's a call. But what kind of cues are you looking for to build that report or at least to build that understanding? What is it that we're here for? Should we talk yoga for five minutes or should we directly go into the tech details? So you just have to be very aware in the first few minutes of the call. So I like to just ask people up front, like, hey, 
Thank you so much. You've dedicated 30 minutes out of your day to meet with me. What would make this meeting a success? Yeah. So that's a question I love to ask because that, you know, people will generally tell you. And the other thing is like, I think you, you need to go into every meeting. Like no one wants to trick you. It's not you versus them. It's not a shared cake. You know, if I have this, you get this. It's like you're moving together to a shared goal. And sometimes you see people are a little bit more chatty and they will mention certain things. So for example, like I hate virtual backgrounds. Um, we don't have them in sales room on purpose because I think that having a virtual background means like instinctively makes the other person feel like you're hiding something. Now, having something personal, you know, in your background could be a great hook for the other person. For example, you know, people see my dog, right? They can ask me a certain question about it. I've seen other people having like flags from their university or pictures of their family, like just what you're comfortable with and see like if the other person mentions that, then they probably want to talk about yoga classes a little bit more. If not, so basically drop hints every now and there, let there be something people can grab onto and just ask them upfront what they're looking to get out of this conversation. I love it. I absolutely do. And if we take a step back to like building that rapport, where do you say it starts then? Because it doesn't sound like it starts on the call. No, I think, you know, my goal is to change the perception that sales meeting starts when you enter the video call and ends when you click hang up because it doesn't. It starts way before. I mean, ideally, the best practice would be to send an agenda for the meeting 24 hours in advance and mm -hmm. ask someone if there's something else like they want to contribute. Definitely for follow-on calls, maybe for the first call, sometimes it could be an overkill, but I'd argue every touch point increases the chances that someone will actually show up to that call. And it's part of being professional and being dependable. And the meeting ends once you have completed your follow-up. And, you know, we can go kind of a lot more into that. But my, my stance is if you're not in your buyer's inbox within two hours, you have lost because someone else will be. Mm, I love this. <laughs> and, and yeah, speed definitely matter in this type of environment we're in. Everything is online. So, well, it doesn't, you don't need to drive back home and transcribe your notes from your notebook or anything. I mean, it's just those 10 minutes after the call, just come down write it all down. And if there are some things you need to follow up on, just do that and write that in an email that I'll get back to you with this and this and that, that we've agreed. I need to a little bit more time on this. That's absolutely common sense. And is there like the, not even the rapport building, but like preparation for the meeting itself, is there a line where you think it's, it might also be too much, like ask for mm. agenda, send videos, whatever it is? Where would you stop? It's a good question. I mean, I know some people when they do big meetings, they do a prep call with their champion the day before. And if you are selling an enterprise and it's and you're like on your second technical demo, it's probably a worthwhile thing to do. If you're on your first discovery call with an SMB, probably not. I usually kind of time box things to maybe 30 minutes at the beginning of a relationship. And you probably, if you're doing outbound, you would have done quite a lot of those things beforehand. Yeah. What pains me is when people invest all that time into research when they go outbound and then that data gets lost between the SDR and the AE. 
handover, right? <laughs> and when that record of the conversation that the SDR had with someone, when that is not captured in the right way, so that the AE ends up asking the same questions again and again, now that destroys the rapport, right? Because that tells you like, hey, why, why am I here answering the same interrogation twice? Exactly. It's all about the seamless buyer experience. If Well, especially if it's outbound, you're not even buying yet. You're being educated. First, you have been educated a little bit through emails. Now you're here at the meeting to learn a little more, but you will give a little more back of the stuff, but it is not an interrogation and you definitely don't want to repeat the questions back and forth because they're coming here to meet you and you are the person who is the host. So you better be prepared with the drinks. <laughs> so what I, um, an insight to share here. So we, yeah. um, we crunched some numbers, uh, at the beginning of this year on all the calls that were done in sales room. So we, and we wanted to look at what makes a meeting. What basically do all successful meetings have in common? And so a successful meetings for us is one that either proceeds to a follow-on or there are clear next steps in that meeting. And uh, so we looked and said, okay, hey, here are all the successful ones. Here are the unsuccessful ones. Can we find something in the data patterns? And the first question we asked, one of the first one is like, well, how many questions do salespeople ask in successful meetings? And the answer is actually really fascinating. So the sweet spot based on what we found, like scaled to a 30 number meeting is five to seven. Only. So, yes, exactly. So if you go to, there are obviously still successful meetings with like more than seven and less as well. It's, it's like a pyramid, but the sweet spot is really five to seven. And now you may, this is exactly the kind of like ice that we also got, like only five to seven. But I think it comes down to what are the questions that you are asking the buyer and asking really like, again, to what I said earlier, don't ask things that you can find from their website. Don't ask things that you can find from their LinkedIn. Do ask saying, Hey, I noticed you have that many salespeople, that many SDRs, you're growing. Now, typically companies that I see who look like you, they would, um, struggle with xyz is that the case for you and so it comes down really to which questions you're asking rather than the number per se the data that you crunched was it for the first meetings or overall whichever meeting because if it is a if you do define discovery call versus a demo there must be a difference mm. or is it the same yeah it's a great question we didn't have the granularity of data Okay. So probably, you know, discovery questions would have, demos would have less, but, but something we found about demos is that even on the demo meeting, do not go into screen share immediately. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We looked at, so I believe the, the key there is 11 minutes. Uh -huh. So on successful calls that, you know, on successful calls, screen share does not start before 11 minutes have passed which kind of so first of all like very few meetings actually start on time <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe maybe in germany we don't have a lot of clients there but uh so the first two three meetings like disregard like people are dialing in they're fine-tuning their cameras then you want to kind of recap everything align on the goals and only then do you want to go into the shared screen 
and not before then. So I would argue that there's probably still questions that have to be asked. One very good one I saw on LinkedIn, I can't unfortunately, I don't remember where and who, so I can't attribute credit, but I've been using it. And that is a question, what has changed since we last spoke? Uh, because I think right now when the world is moving so fast, there are so many unknowns, so many things change. Really like, you know, they may have, you know, your champion may have gotten fired or like someone else, right? So you, you want to make sure if there's anything you want to be aware of. And that's a good question to start every follow-up call with. Definitely. And it's also kind of a scary place to go to. I remember some of the people that I speak to when they ask for like, oh, what kind of questions should be asked and so on. Like there are some of the a little bit more scary questions that you might be asked, like what has changed? Just like, oh, what if they tell me that they don't have the budget anymore? What if uh, they say that, mm. well, this project is cut and so on. Well, better earlier than, uh, than like three meetings <laughs> after. And the same goes for like, what are your alternatives for this specific problem solve? Like, are you going to do it by yourself or is there's competitions like, oh, but this is scary to ask because what if they tell me there's competition or that, why would you push mm. them over to competition? They'll figure out by themselves. It's like, nope, they don't need you. Yeah. I think as salespeople and just humans in general, we tend to shy away from uncomfortable questions but you actually have to lean into them. (laughs) It's like a cold shower early in the morning, right? You just have to teach yourself to go in there and it does, like we uh, we did a LinkedIn Live with uh, Jason Lalk the other day and um, there was a question posed in the chat, which was, I noticed buyer engagement is dropping, what should I do? And his answer was to just like attack it head on being like, stop the screen share, say, hey, Laura, I noticed you're a little bit distracted. Is that that this is not resonating with you? Or do you have something urgent pressing? If so, I want to give you the time to deal with it before we kind of move on. Yes. It's like, why should we waste our time for somebody? Both ways. I mean, you might have more important things happening right now than this demo. And it's okay. Let's do it tomorrow or another day. Love this. Now we're going to move into a conversation about one-on-one versus one-on-with-many. Calls one-on-one, how do you navigate those? Yeah, it's a great question. So I'm going to say something shocking, especially for a founder of a video tech company. But I think that one casualty of the last three years has been a one-on-one phone call. And I think a one-on-one phone call is a super valuable tool in the arsenal of every person, salesperson, in that you do video meetings and things are recorded and, you know, oh, you invite your boss, so now I have to invite my boss. And it actually makes it much harder to get down to the core of the problem. So one-on-one, if it's the first meeting, of course, great to do on video great for, you know, putting a face to a name, building rapport. If you are two meetings in and you just want to check in, actually think, does it have to be a video call or can I just like pick up my phone and like text you and be like, hey, Laura, do you have 15 minutes? Just like want to get some feedback on how things are going. That's one one tip. The other thing, uh, one-on-one meetings, come prepared, have a plan. Uh, I think one-on-one meetings are easier because you only have to pay attention to one person. It's a conversation between two people. Now with 
multiple stakeholders, it's a lot harder because not only do you have to pay attention to every person, you have to make sure that every person gets to participate in the conversation. So you're almost like, not only are you thinking about what's your next question to ask or what to dive deeper, but also like, oh, who hasn't spoken in a while? Who hasn't asked any questions? Again, we ran some numbers and we found out that regardless of how many people are on the call, if even one person ends the call with zero airtime, so they haven't spoken, your chances of moving forward drop by 35%. Oh my God. 35% for one or two people not speaking in a meeting of many people. Wow. We don't quite know why. Like, it's really hard, especially when it's not your customers, to go back and be like, hey, why didn't you move forward? But I think the explanation, the hypothesis we have is that when someone has been invited to a meeting, there's a reason that they're there. And they're coming there with something very kind of specific that they need to get out. And some people are shy. They don't like interrupting. They may be scared to jump in. But in the end of the day, if you don't involve them, they may not ask that critical question that they came there to ask. I love that. I remember Chili Piper's co-founder, she shared once a memo about a very similar thing as well. It's like involving all the people in the meetings and figuring out who's in the call as well to kind of, so they feel involved in the process, but at the same time can give key insights for everybody. That's, I think it's key. Yeah. Plus, I think it's also, there's something to be about like psychology. Mm. And when you think about it, and this goes back to, I was back in my investor day, we looked at a tool that was used by payment processing software and they were selling to financial controllers and no offense, but like when you're a financial controller, you're not the most popular person in any company. (laughs) So there's maybe like very few things, but, but their sales process made those people feel like they're on top of the world. Right. And for them, it was such a nice experience. Like, wow, no one really cares about me, but here this amazing company, they came and they, you know, they did those demos and they asked me about my job. And, and I think that's how you have to treat all the stakeholders in your call, because there may be a person somewhere who's not very high up in the org, who doesn't have a lot of like political capital, but for them to feel involved in an important decision, it's important, right? It makes them feel good. And if you can unlock, you know, those people sometimes make the easiest champions. Definitely. And it is, it, it is very tiring for a salesperson as well to be on a call with many stakeholders. How do you navigate the preparation and the follow-up of the calls mm. with many stakeholders? So uh, first, it's great to have an overview of who those people are and to understand their role in the, in the company. Titles sometimes are very misleading. Mm -hmm. So this would be, by the way, a great reason to pick up the phone, call your champion and say, hey, thank you so much. I see you've invited six people to come to the call tomorrow. Could you let me know what each person's role is just so I can make sure everyone has a great experience? And um, like nine out of 10 times people do that. And they say, hey, and this is Susie and she reports into John and John reports into Mary because like they also want this to be successful and they want all their colleagues to have a good experience. So um, that's one. Second, I think it doesn't hurt to send a one-on-one follow-up to different people. Like you would send one big email to everyone, summarizing the conversation. Sometimes 
if they're someone from procurement and they are curious about XYZ, you send them another email with more bullet points specifically to what they have asked and just really give every person the time rather than just be, you know, eyes on the prize, focus on the decision maker, ignore everyone else. 100%. And it also goes back to what Shanghal is saying to us. Give some value to the invited person's time. Imagine if one too many meetings had a number on it. How much does this meeting cost? If you calculated the hourly cost for that meeting and all those people, and maybe even spoke loudly about that, you might want to run it differently because it's important for their company. You're talking a lot ROI about your own tool and so on, but make sure that the ROI of your meeting is also just as good comparing to when they actually bought the tool. Love that. Yeah. And I, you know, sometimes like speaking back to hard conversations, what I hate is when you're in a meeting and there's one person and they're just miles ahead of everyone else. Right. And they're asking you about like advanced questions whilst the other five people have no idea of what your tool does. Right. You have to tell them like, Hey, Laura, it's a great question. I have written it down. I will make sure to address it. But I think, you know, we need to pull back a little bit and make sure that everyone in this conversation kind of understands what this is about before we go into those things. And it may not be comfortable to you to do that because that person may be your champion, but you can't, you know, that other people are here. They need to get something out of this meeting. Let's make sure that they stay engaged. I agree. And I think that actually gives more credibility than you think it will damage anything else, especially if you offer them one-on-one -on -one time as well. It's like, it feels like it's very important mm -hmm. for you. Do you mind if we book 15 minutes later with me or somebody even more technical? So you will get even better information back to your question. I love that. So Dario, the golden question for you, but what Shoot. makes a great salesperson stand out? What is a great salesperson? Oh, wow. I mean, that's a million dollar question. <laughs> is it? Yeah, I think probably more than that. So I'll give you a long answer because I've worked with a lot of very different salespeople who were successful in their own way, right? There is um, a person who is incredibly like methodical. They know medic in and out. They are like really, really kind of process driven and they're incredibly successful. And then there is a person who is, um, you know, they, they go into, they haven't prepped anything. They have like a, a napkin with one question that they have to ask. That is also the same person who like, you know, submits their expense report when their credit card has maxed out you know? <laughs> and, and, and does security training, you know, a day before, a day after their computer got locked, right? So, and, and this is the beauty about sales is that so many different types of people can be successful, but I think it boils down to a few things. One is a deep understanding of the people on the other side. And really you can't show empathy when you don't know the day to day of the person you're speaking with. So if you want to be successful, study your, you know, the market you're selling into, know what these people are into, know what are the biggest trends in their industry, make sure that they can really learn something from you than when they come to this interaction. Second is having a very long-term view 
and it's probably not going to be popular, but like think beyond your current role, right? Think beyond this quarter, beyond this year and probably beyond this company to just how, you know, sometimes things come back to you years after unexpected, whilst if you're being too pushy and thinking just about, you know, hey, can I get this deal so I can get my paycheck at the end of the quarter? That's not the best approach. And the third thing I would say has to do with responsiveness and really kind of being on the ball. It pains me, you know, I think the last two years, the timelines have contracted a lot. So if you get a lead, jump on it. You get a response, jump on it. Gongs, in their last survey, they they found that buyer's response time mirrors the seller's response time. So if you want people to get back to you quickly, like get back to your people quickly. 100%. So long answer. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, the answer is it depends. And it definitely does. It's similar to the questions like, who are the better buyers? Extroverts or introverts? It's like, it depends. Both are really great, <laughs> but in different situations. <laughs> Absolutely. All righty. Did we forget to mention anything exciting or something that we should have spoken about? It's a good question. I mean, I think this year is really tough. I assume a lot of people in this audience work in sales and marketing. I think just just know that it's not just you, you know, things are not flying off the shelves like they used to. And I think a lot of people are currently thinking of how to change their process, how to improve it, how to get better. The advice, you know, is just get back to basics, figure out what are the important things and do them really well. Absolutely. I think this is the time when we actually grow into much better salespeople as well. So in the last three, four years, a lot of new salespeople have joined the market and, and felt that they can sell pretty well. But I think a new school is starting now when it's actually really hard to sell and everybody has to rethink. So the way we were doing things before doesn't actually work anymore. So what is it that we need to tweak and change? Daria, thank you so much for the conversation today. We hope you like listening to us. Subscribe to our podcast and the ones that we have been guests on. And if you have any feedback for us, uh, just do let us know. And should there be a guest that you think we should be talking to, then like pitch us. We're looking forward to seeing you.